Welcome, everyone, to a new edition of Ramdas Here and Now. I'm Raghu Marcus. And before we get going with this uh, talk from Ramdas, just want to mention that there's still time to sign up for this wonderful Ramdas uh, online course, eight week course, very substantial course, Life and Teachings of Ramdas and the Art of Being Here Now. And uh, there will be Dharma teachers every week, and there'll be uh, another session where there'll be interactive group activity on Zoom, breakout groups discussing all of the uh, various themes from this uh, course and movement. So uh, there's a, f- a wonderful Facebook group where people can uh, talk to each other, meet. It's uh, it's a very, very uh, wonderful experience uh, that I anticipate everyone's going to have. Uh, we've never done anything quite as uh, thorough, shall I say, as this particular uh, eight-week uh, retreat. So, And it's, it's uh, also part of our celebration of the 50th anniversary of Be Here Now, the publication. So, uh, and then um, much of what Ram Dass represents is so much about being in the moment, is it not? In fact, in this talk, which is, uh, it's, uh, it's basically different questions around planes of reality and time and paradox and freedom, all of the very crucial things in our lives and... There's a whole thing around, he talks around be here now and and it's relativity to time and space and what that, going into the moment and what that really means and being both in time and behind time. It's, it's really pretty far out actually. So that's a, a bit of a, um, a tip on what, this is about, but I, I was going to say actually that so many, many, many times Ramdas talked about as humans, we can live on more than one plane of reality. And this uh, particular talk addresses exactly that. It, it really addresses the different kinds of planes of consciousness. And all the way to talking about like when you die, whatever you're clinging to thought form wise draws you to an astral plane that's particular to that clinging. So uh, planes of consciousness, uh, uh, including much of the astral planes, um, is something that uh, well, many people can go, oh, planes of consciousness. I'm dealing right here and now with, I'm walking around and I'm thinking and I got to do stuff and I don't have time for that. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, that is all as real as this relative plane, uh, the, the human physical plane. And uh, that's the beauty of... Uh, psychedelics, which showed many of us that there is another plane, more than another plane. And um, of course, the main issue is how do we manage to live on these multiple planes at the same time? So there's a lot of insight in this uh, talk from Ram Dass about that. 
what else did he say? God, there's something. Somebody talks about, asks him about the predictions of global calamity. Is that just, uh, uh, he says, it's just another phen phenomenon of group consciousness. <laughs> Look what's happening to us with the pandemic and everything. And the way uh, that we are collectively, uh, uh, however many, 7 billion or more humans on this planet suffering together. It's uh, very, very poignant. And Ramdas says, actually, this is a great quote and worth repeating, everybody. Um, he talks about, because people are asking, well, are we going to be, you know, go through this sort of dark, dark period and come out and be completely in the light of, of a new age? Or are we facing Armageddon? And he, he suggests that in each, of these, uh, in each of these paths, shall we say, he's devoting himself to quiet mind, open heart, and what I call, I'm changing it up a little bit, making friends with suffering. That is the path keeping a quiet mind, open heart, and making friends with suffering, no matter what happens. If it's the new age or it's Armageddon. So, uh, what else? And there's great stuff around truth as well. Um, and the paradox of, of truth as it embraces both the one and the two, but the reality is that the one is that ultimate truth, and everything else is just relative truth. That's another thing that, that describes another two different planes of consciousness. So the whole thing around paradox that he talks about in this, uh, in this talk is very, very important, very important. And ultimately, and he says this, when you realize that you're living in, we are in the illusion. We are living in an illusion because we are living based on projections, uh, based on a belief in stories that we tell ourselves. Um, but even if you get to a very fine point where you understand, okay, by being in a body, being human, it means to live in, in the illusion. And uh, the idea that the illusion, meaning we are thinking we are separate beings, is one major part of the illusion. Um, so when you get to that subtle place where you know it is that, but you don't run for it, from it, or for it, and you're able to still honor it, that is a very high place to get to. And that is the essence, to me, of living on more than one plane of consciousness at the time. So we are here and we are doing the actions that we need to do to fulfill our destiny, our karma, our dharma, and but we are not fooled into believing that that plane of uh, reality is 
truth. Yet we're not rejecting it. We're still honoring it, understanding that there's that place behind, as Ramdas talks about, be here now, in time and behind and behind time. That's so great. So this is it. Uh, I don't know, we can call this planes of reality, but it has different questions uh, about reality, time, truth, freedom, paradox. And uh, gee, everyone, uh, I hope that you're taking a look at some of the other one. I just want to prompt everyone some of the other wonderful podcasts that are emanating from Be Here Now Network. We just, uh, we're expanding. And I do want to mention that we are going to be presenting Alan Watts in a podcast, an ongoing podcast. Uh, and it'll have introductions uh, with his son, Mark, who worked with him and uh, in his earlier life. Very, very, very happy because Ramdas loved Alan, and I think vice versa. And uh, I know so many people that where both Ramdas and Alan Watts meant uh, so much. So we're really, really happy that uh, this is going to happen. It'll happen. And I'm here at the end of April, and it'll happen some point in the middle, late part of May, maybe something like that. But keep get on the mailing list so you can get informed of what we're up to. Uh, and again, don't forget, there's still time to sign up for the Ramdas Life and Teachings course and the Art of Being Here Now. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. This is Ramdas Here and Now, Be Here Now Network. You speak of all beings going through the astral planes after the demise of the physical body. So, why is it necessary, therefore, for some people to experience this plane? by which I mean psychic phenomena, demons, devas, etc., whilst on this level. And also, are these 1992 predictions of global calamity just another phenomenon of the group consciousness? You guys, you only had six questions, but each one has about nine parts, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, in describing planes, there are such an infinite variety of planes because every thought form creates a plane, strangely enough. That's too, that's too subtle, but there are many planes of reality. In the grossest sense, there is the physical plane um, that our normal waking consciousness is aware of. There are dream states, etc. There is the astral plane. I remember Aldous Huxley. We were in Copenhagen together. And uh, he was delivering a lecture which was describing why we love jewels so much. And he said, we love jewels because they remind us of pebbles on astral planes where we once lived. And if you read Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi, which is a very interesting book, he describes in quite detail the astral planes, these planes in which Light and color and form are very different, and they are planes that are equally real as this plane. Just like your dream state is another plane of reality. Now, um, behind the causal plane, behind the astral plane, there is what's called the causal plane.
or in Plato's term, pure thought, which has in Hinduism what's called the Brahma Loka, where it's beyond drama and beyond sensory experiences. It's just idea. It's just the subtlest coming together of some form. It's almost like a, just the subtle waves of form that are just these simple thoughts. And then behind that is the formless. Of course, it's, the word behind is phony because it's all in everything else. That's what's so messy about it all. Now, as I read to you when we were talking about death the other day, depending on where your attachments are, you may go into subtle, you may die with subtle sheets that take you into astral planes where that's real for you. And then you meet beings, you meet beautiful beings of light or you meet the horrible beings and so on. While you're on earth, as your chemistry changes, as you, you can go into each of these planes from here and go through a lot of that stuff and have dealings with that. Many people have astral journeys a lot on this plane and are in contact with astral entities. Emmanuel is an astral entity or a causal entity or somewhere on that realm. He's probably pretty close to causal. And there are thousands of entities, millions of entities on all these planes. And the interaction across entities, it's like making contact with somebody from Mars or something like that. They're there, but they're on a different frequency so that you would have to change your frequency as a receiver to make contact with those beings. But as you change your chemistry through practices, through just your chemical imbalances and so on, you can flip in and suddenly those are real. And you meet these beings and you meet awarenesses or ghosts or poltergeists or whatever it is you meet, entities. When you die, as I said the other day, Whatever your clingings of mind are, if you are clinging to sensation, you go to the astral realms where sensation is the dominant theme. That's what pulls you there. And, you, and now time is different on all these planes so that you would stay there for whatever it is. There's no time from really back there, but there's an experience of time, but it's a different experience of time than this time is. Like we're going to read the Ramayana or tell the story and we're talking about kalpas and yugas and 10,000 and 40,000 year units and so on. And those are where you're standing in a different relation to time than we are here. Now, you have astral karma in the same way you have physical karma. You have a mythic identity and an astral storyline also. And the astral storylines, like your Amneris, um, for example, that has some meaning. It has some lawful meaning in terms of defining. And every higher plane, the karma of the higher plane invests the next lower plane with form. So your causal karma determines your astral form. Your astral karma determines your physical form. Just like your psychological karma determines your physical body a lot. You can feel how your body, can you feel the muscles and all that are responding to your mind, to your awareness. So for you to be free, it means being free not only of the physical plane, of the psychological and physical, but being free of the astral or, or mythic or archetypal, as Jung talks about it, and being free even of the idea of a soul or, an, or a self or a separateness, which brings you back into the causal plane. 
And that's what Buddhist term of anatta is about that I talked about last night. The more of this work you do in a physical birth, the more at the moment of death, the less there's grabbingness that determines you going to one of these planes or another. Now, if you could stand back, you would see the astral storyline that would explain to you what's happening to you now. You'd understand more of it. And a lot of why we study astrology is to study the meta-systems that allow us to understand the subsystem of which our personality and body is part of why it's happening the way it's happening. So it does give you power to know astral law as opposed to psychological law. See, you can know the laws of the physical body, then you can know the laws of psychology, then you can know the laws of astrology. I mean, really, the, the profound laws of astrology, not the hype laws of astrology, but the profound one. And then behind that, there are the causal laws as well. Now, within the astral storylines, many people come to me and say, is it all going to, is this the Aquarian age? Is this the beginning of the new age? It's all going to turn beautiful. Or is this Armageddon is approaching and it's all going to end? We're going to, the greenhouse effect, we're going to burn up, we're going to, da, 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 we're going to pollute, we're going to make life unhabitable, etc. What should we do about it? Or what, what's, what's going to happen? And uh, I usually answer, I am not privy to that information. I don't know. But when I've reflected about it, I've seen that if it is to be the new age, the things I have to do to prepare for it that I can do now are I can quiet my mind so I can listen more carefully and I can open my heart and deepen my compassion. That is, I can deepen my emptiness and deepen my compassion. That'll make me optimum for helping whatever is about to happen. On the other hand, if it is to be Armageddon and I'm to die, along with the rest of us, the best way I can prepare to die is to quiet my mind so that I can hear more clearly from moment to moment so I will be in the present and open my heart more so that I can just be wide open for this moment. As I reflected, I saw that it didn't matter which astral storyline was going to come out because I was going to prepare myself the same way for either one of them. And the added thing was that I was going to deal with the suffering right in front of me that was on my plate and do the best to relieve it. I was going to do that whether Armageddon was coming or the New Age was coming. You can't say, because the New Age is coming, I will ignore the people in Bangladesh. Nor can you say, because Armageddon's coming, I'm going to ignore them. So it turned out there were three things. Quiet my mind, open my heart, and deal with the suffering in front of me. And I'm going to do those anyway. So what I realized finally was that I really wasn't terribly interested in what the astral storyline was. Because unless I knew it, I was just playing with other people's projected fears or hopes. Because I saw that the, it seemed like the astral storyline had an infinite number of possibilities, and each person was pulling out of it what they needed the story to be. And I realized that once one was free, one was free. And then it would all do its course, and you would understand why it was that way, and you would be at peace with it. Okay, next question. Given that this moment 
uh, represents all that we've ever been and all that we shall ever be. But I'm fascinated by how the concept of time factors into that. I did a book uh, a number of years back that was called Be Here Now. And many people um, accused me of being irresponsible because they said all it does is teach immediate gratification. But I think your point is well taken. A, a real appreciation of this moment. See, the question is, how do you cut through time? You can cut through time either from standing back far enough or from going in deep enough. Either way, you do the same thing. If you go in deep enough, you go in to the moment which has no time in it. If you stand back, you embrace all moments, and it's quiet. No, it's not going anywhere. As Hakuin, the Zen poet, says, your coming and going is nowhere but where you are. When you stand back, this moment, because of the lawful relationship of all forms with everything else in determinism, this moment has in it lawfully a connection to everything that's going to happen and everything that ever did happen. Because it's not only lawfully connected across space, but across time as well. So that when you are sufficiently quiet and centered, you are in the presence of all of it. That's when Kalu says, you are nothing, and realizing you are nothing, you are everything. At that moment, you are past and future and all of it. So that when somebody asks me a question and I empty, I empty back into all of it. And then as I come back into form, with that question having been the intent of the going into emptiness, somehow it brings back from emptiness, from all of it, what is necessary for that response. In the moment when you are quiet, it's as if you are aware of the total scene, the gestalt of that moment, the totality of all of it, so that your act, when it's an act of non-attachment, is in harmony with that which impelled out of the past and that which is about to happen in the future. For example, I know that next, I made a schedule that next um, Saturday, a week from tomorrow, I will be working with 13 men with AIDS in a village in Northern California. I know that um, next week on, I think, Friday, I will be doing something in somewhere else. I think a peace thing. Maybe that's in September. I don't, I've got a schedule. It's all on there. I know that I have something scheduled next Friday and next Saturday in California. Now, I'm not sitting around worrying about that. I'm not caught. My mind isn't busy with that. But that is part of my consciousness. When I wrote that down, I wrote it not only there, but I wrote it in the universe, if you will. It became part of the Akashic record, if you will. And when I empty, and you say to me, say, would you like to go to the Alps next Friday? If I empty, that commitment for next Friday is there. And out of it comes, gee, I can't go next Friday. I'm busy. Next Friday is in this moment. Next Saturday is in this moment. 
I'm not busy living in next Saturday and missing this moment. This moment includes next Friday and next Saturday. The, miss, the confusion about being here now, people think it means be here now to the exclusion of yesterday and tomorrow. And that is not what it means. It means being here fully in the moment, which includes everything else. The interesting thing is there are ways in which you narrow your consciousness. Like when you take marijuana, for example, my guru said, when you smoke grass, you become very deeply involved in the thing that's right in front of you, but you lose the context. He says, you forget all your relatives, is what he said. Now that's interesting. You come into the here and now, but in the narrow sense of the here and now, not in the inclusive sense of the here and now. So that you'll do things that are very appropriate to this situation, but not appropriate to the rest of the situation. And that's happened to me. I've done things that I as ended up assessing as unethical acts because they denied the other truths in order to acknowledge this one. And I realize now that when I am fully here in the moment in the expanded sense, my action is harmonious across the board. Whatever comes out of me is honoring all of it. It's not denying it. So we're talking about being here and now that includes time, not is in time, but behind time. That's all I can do with that. Question? Um. Is truth paradoxical, or is paradox the truth, or is neither true, or are both true? Is truth part of paradox? Is paradox part of truth? Are they both true, or is neither of them true? Therein lies a paradox. In the same way that the one embraces the two, if you look at it like a pyramid, there's the one at the top, then it comes down to two, then three, five, seven, nine, da, 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 all these very profound symbolic numbers. When you go up to two, you've gotten up to the world of good and evil, dark and light, yin and yang, positive and negative. That's the highest level that form exists at, is in the two. When you go behind that to the one, you have what is called Oh boy, this is so dense, but you have what's called imminent manifestation. For something to manifest, like for energy to manifest into form, you need positive and negative force. That's exactly what, why it comes into solid stuff, because it's, 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 there's, there's polarity. In Christianity, Christianity goes far, as far back as the two into good and evil. If you want to go to the one behind it, which like G. Manley Hall said, one who knows not that the prince of darkness is but the other face of the king of light knows not me. Can you hear that? That behind the two is the one. But most exoteric religions only go up to the two. They go up to good and evil, and you align yourself with good against evil. The mystic part of it is the, what the third patriarch is about where you go behind the two into the one from which you are behind the law, since the laws of form are the laws that result out of two. So you're standing behind the law. So when you say, are you beyond the law? The answer is yes. But see how horrible and presumptive it sounds, presumptuous it sounds. Now, the one is truth. Everything below it in form is relative truth. All the planes each have a relative truth. 
some of the planes are contradictory. On the plane of intellect, when two things are contradictory, we say it's a paradox, means they are logically inconsistent. If you hold this, you cannot hold this. But when you have vertical paradox, meaning two things are inconsistent across planes, it's only the intellect that is confused by that. We can live with the fact that things are both true and not true, that they are relatively true for different situations. Like I can say, you are my father on this plane. You are not my father on another plane. Those are both true. From a logical point of view, that is a paradox. Those are inconsistent. They can't both be true. You can't both be my father and not my father within one plane of reality. See, we're, what we're having to do is embrace many planes of reality and then try to... So the term paradox applies to a plane of reality. It really isn't an appropriate term for dealing with cross planes of reality. And what, it's the same thing with schizophrenia. When you shift from one personality mode to another personality mode on a horizontal plane and you have two personalities and you go in and out of them, or three or many of them, you are called schizophrenic, meaning a schizoid or a break in the two, terms, in the two planes of reality. But all of us, as you go up planes of reality, are vertically schizophrenic. We have many planes of reality, and the confusion in the West is that many people go into vertical schizophrenia and they are treated as if it is horizontal schizophrenia, and they are treated as a pathological problem. While in India or other cultures, when somebody goes into one of those other planes, they are treated as awakening into another plane, and they are taken care of until they learn how to integrate those two planes. So I would say paradox is, exists within truth. Okay, last question. You often talk about getting high and getting free. What would it be like to be free? What is this freedom? It's really high. <laughs> Last night when I quoted Ram Tirth, I am without form, without limit, beyond space, beyond time, I am in everything. Everything is in me. I am the bliss of the universe. Everywhere I am. Now, to be free, meaning you are not standing anywhere, or to put it the other way, you are everywhere, as Kala Rinpoche just said. Now, just imagine extricating yourself from identification with any place you're standing, astral, physical, causal. And then awareness is. Awareness is the trees and the rivers and the sky and the bodies. And then it is you are everywhere. You're in it all. You're in all of it. At that point, there is no unique self-consciousness of you as a separate entity. To the extent that awareness, to the extent that there is old karma that keeps that entity-ness functioning, it is functioning, but the awareness that inhabits it is an awareness that is not limited by it. 
when I was with my guru, no matter how hard I tried over years, I could never find him. I mean, I could see the body, but I couldn't find a person there. He would act like a person from moment to moment, but then there would be many persons. Like at one moment he'd say, I know nothing, God knows everything. At another moment he'd say, I know everything. Or he'd say, I can do nothing. At another moment he'd say, all the money in the world is mine. And I could feel that he was mouthing, he was floating, and he'd alight in a plane, or there would be awareness would would focalize down into a plane for a moment, and there'd be a little manifestation, and then it would go back. And most of the time, you were just in the presence of like vastness. It's like being in the presence of the heavens. I can just give you little images of what that is like. It's like lying on your back and looking up at the stars, and you see one tiny little rather remote star that is who you thought you were in life. Except that the difference is that instead of you just being here looking at it, you are also in it. But you are not specifically, uniquely limited to it. So Maharaji was also Maharaji and also everything else. I mean, I'm giving you, using him as an example. I am beyond time, beyond space, beyond form. I am without form, without limit, beyond space, beyond time. Like Maharaji once looked at me and he said, we're talking about Abraham Lincoln. He said he was a good president. I said, yeah. He said he was a good president because he said he knew Christ was president. He was only acting president. I said, yes. He said, you knew president. You knew Lincoln, didn't you? I went, Ooh. you know, like, did I? What? Ooh, yeah. Is he just a confused, dirty old man? Like for weeks he called me Samat Guru Ramdas. Turned out Samat Guru Ramdas was the guru to King Shiva in 1600. Now, you know, I don't know. Is he just floating across time? Is he seeing reincarnations? Or is he just playing with my head? Is he a fraud? See, you only know when you are it. That's what's far out. But you begin to sense. Like I used to treat him like he was a regular person. See, and I would build a model of who I thought he was. Like I'd say he's very wise and he knows everything, I'd say. Then I remember a fellow from Canada came, a professor, and he came, an old friend, and I brought him in to meet my guru. This is Maharaji, and flowers and fruit offered, and Maharaji looks at him and says, you came from the United States? man says, no, I came from Canada. He says, uh, you have many brothers. The guy says, no, I'm an only child. I think, oh, shit, man, you know, I can't, you can do better than that, Maharaji, you know. And finally, the guy leaves, and as he's leaving, he says to me, very nice guru you've got there, you know, like, uh, very pleasant, thanks so much, I'm sure you're getting a lot out of it. He, he flees, he can't get away fast enough. I go back, and Maharaji's saying, you, you know, you, I just wanted you to show off a little bit, and you screwed my game up, you know. 
I go and I sit down with him, and he proceeds to tell me in exact detail everything about that guy, all about his life, everything about him, where he works, everything. He knew it all. Was he putting me on? Was he, was he doing it for that guy's karma? Who knows? I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea. See, I couldn't play. I couldn't get linearity. I couldn't have my expectations hold because he wasn't expectable. Because he wasn't a thing. It was like a floating awareness. It was just awareness. It was free. It was free. He'd giggle. He'd giggle. He'd giggle when other people don't giggle. No. And then he'd cry. And I imagined what it's like to be just a wide open heart that is in the presence of all of the world's suffering and existence. And at the same moment, to have the wisdom and equanimity in which you have full understanding of why it all is the way it is. And when I talk about bearing the unbearable, it would be unbearable to bear it if you were somebody. Nobody could bear it. Wavy Gravy has had a campaign, a political campaign, every uh, presidential election in the United States in which he runs nobody for president. Because he, he says nobody can solve our economic problems, nobody cares. And he has a big bus that has nobody for president. He goes around giving any, any, he has a car drive through the city with a parade with nobody in the back seat. And, uh, <laughs> And it's humorous and profound and poignant and everything. I mean, it's a political satire, it's all of it. But the fact is that nobody could bear it. Nobody could bear it to keep their heart open, but nobody can bear it. Nobody could bear it. No, a being couldn't bear it, but nobody could bear it. And it's just the heart is there. It is infinitely breaking and infinitely at peace. There is the giggle and there is the emptiness. And when I work with lines like, out of emptiness arises compassion, I, it, just, it just pushes me right to the edge to understand. Just like the third patriarch. That last line is, no yesterday, no tomorrow, no today. Kala Rinpoche say, don't you see it's all an illusion? The other day, I told you, when this old woman died and Maharaji laughed and, oh, I didn't tell you, Maharaji laughed and the man next to him said, you butcher, what are you laughing if she just died? Maharaji said, what do you want me to do, make believe I'm one of the puppets? Do you want me to make believe it's real to, to kid you? What would you do if you saw through the dream and everybody you knew was caught in the dream? And you go to shake them to wake them up and they interpret your shaking from in the dream. What would you do? I mean, that's the predicament. What would you do? How would your compassion manifest? Hmm? That's what we do, but we do it from within the dream. And to the extent that you're not outside the dream, you keep reinforcing the dream in the way you shake. In the way you shake. Zen Master Yasutani, our true nature is beyond all categories. Whatever you can conceive or imagine is but a fragment of yourself. 
The real you cannot be found through logical deduction or intellectual analysis or endless imagining. Endless imagining. See the predicament of describing what this is? Even endless imagining doesn't do it. It is beyond the mind to grasp. And finally you hear, one who clings to the void and neglects compassion does not reach the highest stage. But one who practices only compassion does not gain release from the toils of existence. One, however, who is strong in the practice of both remains neither in samsara nor nirvana, remains neither in form or formlessness. So is Maharaji form or is he formless? See, even there's no either or. There's no one there and it's just what it is. It's this guy in a blanket. It's nothing special. And that's what he ends up being, nothing special. But it's nothing special. His child dies, the man, the spiritual teacher, the monk whose child dies, or the uh, Zen master, and he's crying. And a student comes and says, why are you crying? You know it's an illusion. And he says, yes, but having a child, the death of a child is the greatest illusion of all. See, that's it, of being in form and formless. I said, Maharaji cries, and he giggles. The crying is the attachment, is the... He said an interesting thing once. He said, he said to me, Ramdas, you should keep moving all the time. Don't stay in one place. He says, because attachments develop both ways. And you can feel that the minute you stop, you develop this web of attachment. And it's all, it's too beautiful. It's too much beautiful. And at the same moment, to the extent that your mind gets caught in that attachment, you're not free any longer. And the question of how to be free, as Christ said, not in the world, and yet be fully in the world, which means be fully involved. Nothing special. You are a man, you are a responsible person, you are relieving suffering, you're crying at loss, you are caught in the illusion, and you're not caught in the illusion. You hear that? He's crying because he's a father and his child has died. And at the same moment, he's saying it's the greatest illusion. He's not saying it's real, he's saying it's the greatest illusion. And to live in an illusion and know it's an illusion and still live in it and honor it. This is all part of what we're dealing with. This is fun. I mean, this is just so far out to play with this edge. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.